My name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to study the book of Philippians this spring, so I thought that was a good overview. Um, there's a website called the Gospel, or I'm sorry, the Bible Project, that if you look up, go to that website, you'll find great summaries of books of the Bible and different themes in the Bible. So that's where that's from. So if you do have a Bible, either like this or on your phone, if you could go to Philippians chapter 1, that's where we'll be studying today. Um, it's a great book. Uh, again, the next several weeks are going to be in it. Also out in the foyer, when you leave, or maybe you got one when you came in, uh, they have, um, there's, a, there's a publisher called Crossway that has um, kind of a new series of, this is the whole book of Philippians, but it's laid out sort of like a journal where the text will be on one side and a place for you to take notes is on the other. Um, and it's a great idea. I, you know, I use different moleskins for my time in God's Word and writing prayer requests, but these are designed by each book of the Bible. So if you wanted to use this uh, to take sermon notes and then take your own study notes as you're going through it or to journal, write prayer requests, uh, these are available for you out there uh, as you leave as well. So um, super excited about that resource. So, um, so yeah, we're going to be talking in Philippians today. And um, it's a book that you're going to notice if you've been around the Bible some there's some phrases in that book that are just very quotable. Like you may have mugs or t-shirts or posters that have some of these verses. It's a very quotable book, but it's a very powerful, very relevant book too. And so before we jump into it, let's talk a little bit about Iowa football, okay? So uh, we just came off a season, right, that um, was good in a lot of ways. We lost four games. They were all winnable, so that kind of makes you cringe like, oh, what could have been? But, but the, one of the strengths of this year's team uh, was clearly our defensive line, like the guys in the trenches. And as you get to know some about those guys, there were apparently about eight of them that kind of rotated in. You play about four at a time, and so these guys just kept rotating in, and you'd always have a fresh four guys on the field, and they were very disruptive. It was, again, one of the strengths of our team. Well, this week, one of those guys announced that he was uh, going to turn pro, that he was going to the NFL early. His name is Anthony Nelson, six foot eight, and he's from Waukee. Kind of cool when these Iowa guys come, work hard, and that's kind of the story of Iowa football, right? All these Iowa guys come together and and, and do well. And so we're excited for that. But what was really cool um, was the statement he made to announce that he was going to the NFL this week. He posted on Instagram. And just some of the glip, glips, or, or some, I described a few phrases from it. But he said things like this, for the past four years, competing alongside my teammates for the state of Iowa in front of the best fans in the country will be something I will never forget. And he went on to thank his parents and his coaches and his teammates. And he said, they pushed me to be the best person and player that I can be. And the relationships that I have made at Iowa will last a lifetime. It's one of the best experiences of my life. So maybe you've had experience, maybe as you think about what he's done, maybe not to the point of playing for the Hawkeyes or winning a bowl game, but, but maybe you've been part of an athletic team where, or coached a team, uh, or part of maybe an educating team, like a, maybe a group of teachers that saw a rough group of students through a successful school year, or maybe part of a medical team where you came together with different disciplines and saw a successful treatment of a patient with a rare condition. Uh, or maybe on a sales team where you guys all came together and hit your goals together. Like there's something cool about being a part of something where you're teaming with others, where you know you're a vital part of that team, they need you, 
but you also need them. There's an interdependence. And then together as a team, there's stories of working through opposition, conflict, challenge, but at the end, you succeed, you win. There's something really invigorating about that. And so that's what, when Anthony Nelson describes his time at Iowa, it just grabs you like, yeah, that must have been awesome. Like, that is really cool. And so what I want us to do this morning is, as we look at the introduction uh, of the book of Philippians, what I want us to catch a glimpse of is that every one of us in the room this morning have been invited in to a team that is far greater than the greatest medical team or educational team or football team. In, in Matthew 16, when Jesus was on the earth, he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus used the word church, at that time it wasn't a word that meant buildings or structures or organization. He meant a people. I'm calling a people around me who will identify with me and my mission. And then this movement of people centered on me and my mission will be unstoppable. And this will be an amazing experience. And so when we're reading Philippians, what we're seeing is it's written by Paul. Paul was um, one of the apostles, one of the followers of Jesus who spread the message of the gospel. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. And it was Paul's calling to take the gospel out and to set up teams, gospel teams, gospel churches, kind of throughout uh, the areas where the gospel had not gone yet. That was his passion. And you're going to see as we read through the introduction to this letter that Paul loved the Philippians. Like they were a special group of people because they were teammates of his. There was a special affinity. Uh, you can read the different introductions that Paul had in all of his other letters in the New Testament. But when you read this one in Philippians, you'll see, man, these guys were close. These guys were teammates. It's kind of like Anthony Nelson talking about his teammates and his coaches. Paul has that affinity for these folks because they've been teammates with him in the gospel. And so um, I'm excited for this. And as we look at even just the introduction this morning, I think what's going to emerge are three distinctives of what it means to be on Team Jesus, all right? And so this is an invitation that's open to any one of us this morning. When Jesus establishes his church, I mean, he invites us in, and that's an amazing statement about Jesus. If, I mean, you guys are awesome, but like compared to him, like wouldn't you be tempted, if you're Jesus, to say, why don't you guys just step aside and let me do this? Like you guys could mess this up, let me just do it. But Jesus, in the, the beauty of how he is spreading the gospel is that he invites people like us in to be on his team. And so uh, what a great book to study at the start of the year. Again, we'll be going through this through a lot of the spring. But what a great chance for us as a church to understand again what it means to be on team Jesus. And today we look at those three distinctives. And let me pray, and then we'll jump into this together. So uh, Jesus, I do pray that you would speak clearly through your word today to your people. And I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you invite every one of us into relationship with you and then into your movement called the church. And so as we look at one church that did it well, God, may we be inspired uh, to follow Jesus and to partner in the gospel like these folks did. So teach us in these weeks ahead. We want to be a people uh, that are clearly in love with you, clearly following you, so the gospel can work in us and through us. So talk to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first distinctive uh, we're going to see is that if you're on Team Jesus, there's a clear identification in Christ. Let's look at the first two verses of the whole book of Philippians. 
says, Paul and Timothy, so again, Paul's the apostle Paul, Timothy is his teammate, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what you're going to see as we go through the book of Philippians is that Jesus is front and center. Jesus is the key person in this whole letter. In this 11-verse introduction, Jesus will be mentioned seven times. In the whole book, Jesus is mentioned 21 times. Christ is mentioned 36 times. And so it's no surprise that out of the beginning, within the first five words, Paul identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Okay, you're going you're gonna to find later that Paul had some amazing credentials from an earthly perspective. In chapter 3, you're going to find out that Paul was a scholar. He was a stud in the classroom, and that in the organization he was in, he was in a very powerful, influential position. But when Paul met Jesus, everything flipped. Like, Paul quickly realized that this life isn't about me, but Jesus is amazing. And so for Paul to push aside his earthly credentials and identify himself as a servant uh, shows what Paul thought about Jesus. Jesus is amazing. The Greek word for servant there is doulos, and a, a doulos was somebody who intentionally put themselves under the direction and care of another person. It was a voluntary move. And so Paul is saying here, look, I've, I've seen what this life has to offer. I see what I can achieve, but man, I've met Jesus. Like, no brainer for me. I will serve Jesus. Jesus will be first and supreme in my life. In fact, the motto for this whole series uh, comes from Paul's statement in 121 where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like everything about Paul centered on Jesus to the point where he identified as a servant of Christ. And so you're going to see that kind of trickle throughout this whole book, the theme of humility, the theme, the theme of putting Jesus first, the theme of putting other people first because that's what Jesus did. And if you were to run into Christians from other parts of the world who are truly following Jesus, guys, this is a distinctive you will see in them as well. They won't talk about themselves a lot. Their lives won't be all just a, a rush after their own ambitions and dreams, but everything about them will be to follow and serve Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's identification point number one. A distinctive is we're going to identify as servants. And then second, as you noticed when we were reading those verses, Paul identified the Philippians, the recipients of this letter. He called them saints, okay? So not New Orleans saints who play later today. Um, and if you're from a Catholic background, you know, the word saint has kind of a very reverential tone to it. In fact, I looked up this week, like, what does it take to become a saint in the Catholic Church? I didn't realize there's quite a, I guess there's so few of them, it should have made sense to me. But like, there are some big hoops you need to go through to become a saint, including not just one miracle, but two. And preferably ones that involve uh, uh, healings of some sort that cannot be proven at all or from science or any, have any explanation other than it was a miracle, like that, that you did something profound. Like that's, that's what it takes. It's like, whoa, you know, and so you think one might qualify you, but no, you gotta, you gotta have two. And so I'm not knocking the Catholic Church, but what I'm saying here is like in any time you hear a church teach something and the Bible teach something different, you go with the Bible. And what the Bible is saying here is what Paul is saying here 
is that he is calling the people in this church saints in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's he talking about here? A saint is someone who is set apart, who is holy, who is useful to God. And so when you look at the whole, well, how does that happen? This, the whole key there is that it's in Christ Jesus, that it's because of what Jesus has done for us that Jesus died for us. We're sinful, rebellious. Like if you didn't have the in Christ Jesus there, <laughs> the identification of the Philippians and of all of us would be things like sinful, separated from God, uh, weak, hopeless, like useless, like just added on, but it's in Christ. Like he rescued us from our sin. He takes our sin, gives us his life, his righteousness, so that in Christ, God sees us as saints, holy ones, set apart, ready to be used by him. That is our identity. And again, last week we talked about two pillars in prayer. What about these two pillars for your identity? That let's start with saints. That when God looks at you, he sees you as if you are standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees you as holy, blameless. He loves you as he loved his son. He sees you as useful as he would see Jesus. Like how astonishing is that? But then I love that the other pillar there is that we're servants. So we're not supposed to go around with our big old heads, like carrying our heads, yeah, I'm a saint. It's like, no, 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 but saints serve because that's what Jesus did. Saints give their lives for other people and that's the, the dual calling, our dual identity in Christ. That, that's a key distinctive of, again, Team Jesus. And again, if you meet believers from different parts of the world in different countries, you'll, you'll see those two distinctions about them. That there's a confidence that comes because they've been loved and accepted by Jesus in the gospel. There's a confidence. There's not a fear like, does God love me? Is God with me? It's like, absolutely he is. You're a saint in Christ. But you'll see that other strength too, that those people won't be all about themselves. They're going to be humble. They'll be living their lives for Jesus. Guys, we're just living in a time, and maybe this is creeping into your life too, um, where people are just scrambling to find their identity. Like, who am I? And it, it seems like we've gone to the point where, uh, well, so if you back it up, if you look at the biblical narrative, like God is the one who created us. God is the one who gives us an identity. Uh, our maker, he, he created us in his image. We're loved by him. We're really wired to be his people and to know him. But again, we've sinned. And so the biblical narrative is that when sin entered into the world, we, we've rejected God, we've stepped away. And so where our identity is meant to be given to us by God, when we sin against God, we don't really listen for God's voice anymore. So we're left on our own to figure out who we are. And so you see, we live in a culture today that we're in those pockets where God has been rejected, we're left to try to figure out on our own, who am I? And people are even to the point now where they're trying to self-identify or dig deeper inside of themselves to declare who they are. Again, completely void of the voice of the God who made them and loved them. And so where those things tend to drift, I'd say would be in maybe two big areas. One is we tend to identify ourselves by our achievements, like what we can do or how we perform. Uh, and maybe the other side of that would be uh, who accepts us, like who approves of us. We, we hold those things up pretty high. When our identity isn't coming from God, then I think we'll start scrambling for an identity through a vocation or through a skill set or through people that I'm, you know, able to convince to like me or to approve of me. And so 
the problem with that is that identity can be such a roller coaster ride. Like where you're doing well and performing well, you're feeling good about your identity, or when the people you care about are caring about you, you may feel good, but, but there's a place in our lives where those things just melt down, and, and there's such a beauty in returning to the truth of who God is and what God has said about us and finding our identity there. And so that's why Jesus is so crucial. He came, he died for us, he restored our relationship with God, so that we can hear from God again who we truly are. And again, in Christ, we're saints, forgiven, holy, useful to God, and we're servants. We're here to bring him glory with how we live our lives. And so the beauty about our identity in Christ is that it's, a, it's an identity that's received, not achieved. Like, you, we didn't do this to earn sainthood or to... Um, be, be able to be on team Jesus and be a servant of Christ. It's something he did for us and he gave for us. It's not anything that will be taken away. It's secure because it was performed for us by Jesus. And the other cool thing is the more you understand how great God is, the one that we adore the most, the one that we worship the most also loves us and accepts us. The one that we think is the most awesome also thinks that we are awesome. So it's not based on our performance. It's not based on can we muster approval from others. Those things are set for us from the God who made us. And guys, that just leverages us to live a completely different life than if we're trying to dig for and discover our own uh, identity. And so I just want to pause here for a second and just, just invite you to close your eyes and just think on that for a minute or two, like what God has said about you is that although we were sinful, he loved us enough to have Jesus die for us and that our identity now is in what Jesus has done for us. He has restored a relationship with God so that we can be God's sons and daughters and that we have a whole new mission now and it's not to live for ourselves or to do what we want, but it's to serve this one who is so awesome. Could you just... Just reflect on that, or maybe you've drifted from that recently, or maybe you haven't thanked God for that in a while. Just, just kind of bask in that truth of who you are in Christ. Jesus, thank you uh, for what you've done for us and that we can stand in what you have done for us, that we can stand firm knowing we're loved by God, the one who made us, and that we have a calling and purpose in this life, and that is to serve you. God, help us identify ourselves through Jesus. And I just pray the, the evidences of that would be clear, that we'd be confident and bold and humble, and that we'd be servants. Thank you for this amazing identity that we have in Christ. Amen. All right, so distinctive number one, we saw right out of the shoot is an identity in Christ as saints and servants. So a second distinctive of team Jesus would be a participation in the gospel. Okay, let's read verses three, four, and five, and we're gonna jump to verse seven. So here's what Paul says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So if you haven't read much of the Bible, that's cool, welcome, glad you're here. But there's a very distinct flavor to this introduction that Paul's writing to the Philippians that you don't necessarily see in his other letters. Isn't it so clear that he, he loves these guys? Not that he doesn't love the other ones, but there's a special affinity here. And the concept that jumps out twice, you see it in verse 5 where he says, because of your partnership in the gospel. And then in verse 7 he says, for you all are partakers with me. That's the same word right there. In fact, some of the older versions or different versions may have the word fellowship there, okay? Fellowship. Now, fellowship, unfortunately, I think falls short of really communicating what that word means, maybe because of what we've done to it in church culture. So, for example, we used to have a fellowship hall as part of our building. It was over there. Now it's offices in the 24-7 office area. But that used to be a fellowship hall. Almost the connotation there is like, if you want to have fellowship, you go there. And so the other connotations that might go with that would be like potluck, casseroles, uh, styrofoam cups, coffee, small talk about weather, Hawkeyes, jobs. Like sometimes like when people hear fellowship in, in Christian church circles, it kind of devolves to that. Not that those aren't okay things or good things, but if I could just reclaim that word, it's the Greek word koinonia, and the core of that word meant to have in common, like a, a shared common value, conviction, life. And what Paul is saying is that their partnership, what they have in common together, what they share at the core is the gospel. Like these guys are participating in the gospel. They're teammates in the gospel. It's not just that they know about the gospel or they occasionally think about the gospel. Like the gospel drives them. So if you know the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, when he said to live as Christ, to die as gain, you'll know that he was all in with following Jesus and all in with the gospel. So, but what he loves about the Philippians is that he sees the same kind of heart in them. Like they love the gospel too. Like they are participating like no other church has participated with him in the gospel. So they are teammates. Again, like Anthony Nelson talked about his teammates and going to war together and going to practices together and suffering together for the cause of Iowa football. Like Paul's saying, like, you guys are partners with me in the gospel. And so they shared all things together. In fact, one of the aspects here is that these guys, um, we're going to look at it a little bit. They embraced the gospel personally. They shared the gospel, and they also participated financially in the spread of the gospel. These guys were famous uh, for their generosity. And so, so let's look at this in a couple of different ways. As they partner in the gospel, let's talk about partnership in the gospel as the gospel in us and then the gospel through us. So I give credit to Thomas Hoke for that breakdown because the first steps class you just heard about uh, announced really is following that outline. What does the gospel in us look like? And then what is the gospel through us? And so let's talk about the gospel in us. When um, Paul was writing a letter to another church, it was a church in a city called Corinth, he, he said this to them. He said, the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which now you are being saved. So there's a couple aspects to the gospel. He said, the gospel was preached to you, and when you believed it, 
Like, I believe that I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. I can have new life in Jesus. I can be forgiven. I can have a new identity. Man, we stand in that. Like, that's our, again, when we went back to our identity as saints, like, that's our basis for being confident in our relationship with God. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus did for us in the past. It's a done deal. But Paul also said this phrase where he said, and you are being saved. Like, the gospel is still saving you. You might scratch your head and say, well, which is it? And Paul would say, yes. Like, so the gospel secures you. You are now God's son and daughter. God is not going to leave you. Salvation is yours. But the gospel is now in you, and God is working in you to continually save you uh, from sin and the power of sin in your life. So it's like this. God will take any one of us this morning who wants to become a Christian, who wants to follow Jesus, who wants to forget, you know, seek forgiveness for their sins. Man, he loves us, and he'll take any one of us. But he loves us too much to let us stay like that, to stay like we are. Like his commitment to us is to help us grow, and it's the gospel that does that. And so one thing Paul really appreciated and loved about the Philippians is that he saw the gospel in them, that gospel partnership and team teaming in the gospel meant they've embraced the gospel and the gospel is now at work in them, all right? And so I see that like in verses 9 to 11 when you see how Paul prayed for these guys. He said, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit, we're going to come back to that word, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so uh, when you see fruit, kind of you see all those things that Paul's praying for, for their love, their discernment, their knowledge. Like where all those things lead to is fruit. God, basically, Paul's asking, God, would you please produce fruit in their lives? When you see fruit in the New Testament, think of two things. Think of, first of all, character. Like there is fruit internally. Like we are changing. The gospel is changing us. And so that's what he sees going on in them, that as they are committed to the gospel, as they study the gospel, as they uh, are gathering together around the gospel, Paul's saying, my prayer is you would continue to grow, that the gospel would save you, that, that it would change you, that your character would be different. And, and that's true for us this morning, too, that God's plan for you with the gospel is that in January 2020, you'll be a different person than you are right now in January 2019. That he loves you like you are right now, but he, his mission, his goal through the gospel is to continue to make you more and more like Jesus. And so as we partake in the gospel, that's the commitment God has, that the gospel in us will change us. But then when you see the word fruit, don't just think character, also think about influence. That, that means that the people around you will be changed, will be pointed to the gospel, will be pointed to Jesus, and there'll be change in them as well. And so think of that as the gospel through us, that the gospel will go through us. And I love that, that one of the fruit, you know, the character fruits that Paul was talking about was the fruit of love. I pray that your love would abound more and more. Because I don't know if you've thought about this before, but, but Jesus made it pretty clear. Those two are really closely linked. The more you grow in love, the more you're going to be influential in the gospel going out from your life, all right? Even, even more tricky, maybe you haven't thought of, is that the more you love other Christians, the more you love other Christians, the more the gospel will go 
out from your life, the more influential you will be for the gospel. It's a little backward. You might think, well, you know, Christians, whatever. I'm just going to go love non-Christians. He's like, no, if you love one another, you're going to really put the gospel on display. In fact, um, if there's some people that live in Iowa City this morning that you love, and they're not Christians yet, and you think about, okay, how, how's God going to reach them with the gospel? One thing Jesus has made really clear, and one thing I think Paul's alluding to here is one thing that just grabs people's attention is seeing Christians love each other. See Christians caring for each other when somebody's suffering and hurting, uh, the others are coming around them. Uh, to see a Christian at work uh, not run his mouth about other Christians or not gossip about his church, but he's being very positive about other Christians. And that stands out so much in today's world, like where everybody's just kind of living for themselves. Paul just says, if you abound in love more and more for each other, you're, you're starting to open eyes around you. Then, of course, your love for Christians, also then your love for the people that don't know Jesus yet, will be a draw to them, that they will see who God is. And so God is at work in us. The gospel is at work in us to change us, but then the gospel starts to be at work through us. And so Paul, we're going to see this in the weeks ahead. Uh, Paul just commended this church in Philippi. You guys are sharing the gospel so well, like you are boldly proclaiming the gospel. But one way you do that is how you, you love each other. Another way, again, as I've mentioned before, is, is through their sacrificial gifts, how they were giving to Paul and his ministry. And there was a time where they took a collection for some Christians who lived in Jerusalem who were going through a very hard time. And even though this church in Philippi was a very poor church, they were just known for their generosity. So the gospel was going through them, in them, and through them. And those are so closely linked. They were participating in, in the gospel, and, and uh, Paul was just so uh, fired up about that. And so I just ask you this morning, like, who are those gospel teammates around you? Like, who, a lot of times we don't stop and think about this, but for some reason in the last couple months, there have been a couple times just in my prayer times with God or my journaling that he just led me to a place about just think back through your life and who are the people that God has brought into my life that were also gospel teammates, like they were about getting the gospel out to people. Guys, it's just encouraging to see those just throughout the years, just different teams of men and women who have just come alongside and been teammates in the gospel. The other morning, uh, a week ago Friday, um, the elders meet once, twice a month, but once is on a Friday morning. And we read this passage together and then prayed over it before our meeting. And it was just um, humbling for me to just look around the room. And um, I've been in this church for 22 years. And there were some just warriors for the gospel in that room with me. And just to affirm those guys, like, thank you. Like, it, it's, if you're trying to do this whole Jesus thing by yourself, that's hard. You know, and it's easy to get discouraged. But when you can look around and think through your life, like, who are those teammates that have contended for the gospel with you. Um, and I just encourage you, like, if you're looking right now and go, you know, I don't know if I've ever had that, or I, I don't know that I've got that right now, uh, can I just nudge you toward um, a community group? Like, that's, that's why we're setting those up. It's a place where you study the word together, you care for each other, but then you also live on mission. You get the gospel out together. And so, so be praying about that. Like, if, the, if that isn't existent in your life right now, Let's get some gospel teammates into your life so that together you can uh, live out and participate in the gospel, all right? So, um, so I just got to ask you, how is your participation in the gospel going? 
Like, how is it the gospel in you? Like, are you seeing change? Are you, are you seeing, and again, please don't hear me say, are you trying harder? Like, is this more of you doing this? But really, the gospel at work in your life, uh, are you in those places where you're hearing the Bible, where you're talking about the Bible, where you're praying for others and they're praying for you? Are you, are you participating in the gospel? And are the people around you being pointed to Christ? Maybe this morning is a call, God calling you into gospel partnership uh, with some people around you, all right? So, so first distinctive, again, was identity in Christ. Second distinctive of Team Jesus is uh, participating in the gospel. The last one I see just in these first 11 verses um, is an anticipation for the day of Christ, like anticipating the day of Christ. It's interesting, these are three themes you're going to see spread throughout the whole letter. As we study Philippians this spring, you'll see these come up again and again. But in anticipation for the day of Christ, look at verse 6. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And then if you, this whole phrase of the day of, of Christ, jump down to verse 9. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. There it is again. For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, on Team Jesus, there's a realization that, that there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. And that helps shape so much of how we live this life and it helps shape so much of who we really believe Jesus is. That Jesus isn't just a guy that lived 2,000 years ago and shouted out to us from the past like how we should be living our lives. That Jesus Christ today is ascended in heaven. Jesus Christ today is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That Jesus Christ today is sustaining all of creation just with the mere speaking of his words. Like he is the Lord of lords. That's why you're going to see later that, that Paul says there's a day where Jesus will come back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or listen to this from Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Paul reminds this team Jesus that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Guys, this Jesus we follow, this Jesus we serve, this Jesus whose gospel we participate in is the Lord. He's the King of kings. And there is a day coming, and we anticipate that, where he will come back to reign and rule. And so that's a game changer for us. That is what motivates us when it doesn't seem like things are advancing or there isn't change or there isn't influence happening through me. No, where's the gospel in me? Where's the gospel through me? God, what's going on? We are, we are buffered by, strengthened by this anticipation that there is a day of Christ coming. And so again, I think that hits us from both angles, the gospel in us, and the gospel through us. Where it should hit us with gospel in us is this, that God, verse 6, has started a work in you. He has, and his commitment is to not bail on you or to start a work in you and go, oh, well, I guess I can't really do much with him, and then bail on you. Like his commitment is he saved you with the gospel. He is saving you with the gospel. There will be a day where you will be completely saved and set apart from the presence, the power, 
of sin in your life. You will be glorified. You will uh, be transformed, like he said, uh, into to being like his glorious body. Like that is coming. And so that's the hope of gospel fruit in us. What God has started in you, he's going to complete in you. And you've got those weeks and you've got those months and maybe for some of us years, like, God, why? Like, I'm just praying for patience. I want it now, you know, or like, so, man, I'm mad. I'm not getting over my anger. Like, whatever your deal is, it's just like, no, no, no. Like, he is at work in you. He is, he is steady and working and has a plan to make you more and more like Christ. So he's committed to gospel fruit in you. And can I be quick to say, as Americans, sometimes we'll take that and just take that as me. He's helping me grow through, can you look at that and say he's helping us grow? Like this is a corporate movement that, that in Parkview Church and the people sitting around you, like there's, there's things in every one of our lives that are broken and messed up, but the gospel is saving us. And so this is a promise to this whole movement that yeah, there's some strengths here. Yeah, there's some things going well, but boy, there's some things that God in his love for us says, let's work on that. Let's see that grow. And so even, you know, you personally, we corporately, that God is at work in us to make us more and more like Christ. And at the day of Christ, that work will be complete. Praise God for that. It just, it's, it's hard. It's tiring, you know, to, to battle sin. But again, but the promise is this will be completed at the day of Christ. That gives us hope. And the same is true for the, the gospel fruit going out of us the ministry going out of here. And again, you may have seasons where it seems like if you're praying for people, we just came off of two weeks of prayer. It's really cool, thankful to the staff for sending out those, those prayer prompts. But, but the things you've been praying about or the people you've been praying for year after year after year, for some of you, that, that it seems that nothing is happening. It seems that there is no work, no advancement of the gospel. Some of you guys are faithfully serving and teaching um, I was talking to a leader in our midst a couple weeks ago. Love this guy. He's like, you know what? Sometimes I just think I'm tired of leading. Like, nobody's changing. Nobody's like, okay, dude, look, you can grow in two ways. One, you can just sit in your room and not be around any Christians and just read your Bible, and you're going to kind of grow, but not really. Or you just get in the trenches, and you lead people that aren't listening to you, that aren't following you, but you stay there, and you love them point with Jesus and you watch how you grow like so so some of you may be in that point like oh nothing's happening like the promise is is that the work that God has started through you will be brought to completion at the day of Christ I just I just put this out there like the power is not in us like when I talk about even the gospel growing in us it's not a call to try harder the, the, the power is in the gospel to change us. And so we discipline, we obey, we pray, we follow Jesus, but he does the heavy lifting in our growth. And the same is true in your ministry, that you pray, you be faithful, you teach, and God's gonna take care of the fruit. God's gonna take care of the influence through you. Some good reminders of that for me. I just, I said, God, could you show me, could you remind me of this? I've got a, a box of files in my office that I know has sat there for four years and I never opened it. That's a good sign, like, we might need to purge some of these. So I was going through there and I found um, clear back 1991, I used to help a, I was leading a youth ministry in Texas and we had a prayer retreat for all the students and I, part of the booklet had just a list of names, just probably like 150 names of students and that whole weekend, that was our focus. Let's pray for students. And it was so cool 
just to, like this many years later, just to look and go, Christian, Christian, Christian family, led parents to Jesus. Like just, wow, that is, you know, to have a group of people you poured into and then not, you know, to just not look back at that and to, for a long time and go, wow, that was amazing. Guys, there's power in the gospel. God is faithful that as you, as you serve, as you pray, as you teach, as you share the gospel, the work that has started among us as a church, God will bring to completion. And so I just asked him for more. Can you just remind me of a few more stories? There's a, guys, do not hear this as Doug patting himself on the back, or this is, wow, look how awesome Doug is. All of these, I am <laughs> greatly aware that these are stories of how awesome Jesus is, but I was reminded of the guy I met right out by the Connect booth probably about three years ago now that just said, hey, I only have a few minutes, but I'm just really confused. I don't know who God is. What should I do? We talked a little bit. And the best thing I thought of on the spot was to get him a study Bible. Hey, why don't you come here? Here's an ESV study Bible. Here's how it works. Let me pray for you. Read this book. Got an email from him, like about a year later or so. And he said, hey, I just wanted to give you an update. Thanks for the book. Uh, thanks for the Bible. I'm reading it. I'm following Jesus now. Uh, I got transferred to Japan. I'm living here now. I live stream your sermons. Thanks for pointing me to God. Like that's about, guys, that's like a five-minute conversation. And that's that's the power of the gospel, right? Doing that. Or just stories like, you guys remember the Easter story a couple years ago, a guy who brought his kid here uh, at the hospital because he tried to kill himself, and this guy's in a motel room battling his own addictions, comes to Easter, hears about the patience, the love, forgiveness of Jesus that he showed Peter, and he just came out there and just said, something happened to me in there. And I thought, did somebody was rude to you or steal something from you? I, no, I, I think more highly of that than you. But like, what happened to you in there? He said, I don't know. I felt like God just met me in there. And so since tracking with that guy the last couple of years, um, this guy knows the, the gospel. This guy has seen some victory in his life. And this guy's son is doing well. Again, just that's the power of the gospel, that he who began a good work among you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. There were others that God just reminded me of, like, like all you did, Doug, was just point people to Jesus, and I took it from there. And guys, that's to meant to encourage you that, that um, you may have been, you may be through a season right now where it seems like nothing's happening, but I encourage you that even the small things you have done, praying for people, um, being a good witness at work, I'm being kind, uh, reaching out, uh, working hard, working overtime, helping colleagues, um, sharing a scripture, uh, identifying with Jesus. Uh, just those things that to you seem very small, God will do powerful things through. It will blow you away. And so I, I um, <laughs> what Anthony Nelson described in his announcement, like I just can't imagine, like it would be so awesome to walk out of the tunnel at Kinnick Stadium on a Saturday and have 70,000 people there going crazy. And I so respect those guys, the hard work it took to get there and the discipline and all those things. Because I just want to encourage you, any of you this morning uh, that is on Team Jesus, um, walking out of Kinnick in a tunnel is nothing compared to what awaits you when Christ returns. It will absolutely blow you away. And to find yourself there with, with Team Jesus, you know, with Team Jesus here, 
Have you ever seen like um, players, like when there's a great play, like they'll come out, like when Clemson beat Alabama, you know, and they're doing this. So you see the Clemson, and I'm so glad to see that. I hate Alabama. But when you see this, like, guys, we're going to be doing the same thing. It's not going to be, yeah, look what I did to get here, and I'm so glad to be a part of this. And no, it's just like, we're going to be just like, it's all Jesus. Like, and guys, to be a part of the greatest movement uh, ever in the history of this universe where the greatest one in the universe gave his life for you, died for you, gave you a new identity, allowed you to participate, didn't just say, just watch, you're screwed up. He brought you in, and then he promises to come back and to show completion in all that you started, all that you were a part of. Guys, it will absolutely blow you away. You will see people from every tribe, language, people, nation, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of sin battles and struggles and identifications, all there. And you're all, we're all going to be just making a huge deal out of Jesus. We're going to be doing this, Jesus. Like we get to be a part of that. And guys, over the next several weeks, just looking at Philippians, just my prayer is, God, would you just make us more and more that kind of church where everyone's participating, everyone's involved, everybody's secure in their identity, and the gospels at work in us and through us, and then look out, you guys, for what, what this could be like for you, for me, for our families, and for this city. So I want to do this to close. Could you just take a minute or two and just, just respond? Like, what, what is God saying to you this morning? What's his, what's his invitation to you to do next? Like, what's the step he's calling you to take? Is it something about your identity is it something about participating in the gospel? Or is it, is it the encouragement that we're anticipating the day where he's coming back, where he will complete what's been started in our lives? Which one of those grabs your heart? Which one of those is God calling you to take a next step? Jesus, forgive us. Sometimes we just get so familiar with church and with even with you and with the gospel. And um, yeah, we just confess that and we want to repent from that. We want to be a people that see you for who you are so, so clearly that we identify as servants and saints. And then we just want to be so in a fresh way blown away by the gospel. First, our own hunger and need for the gospel. Would you grow us and change us? And then God, just a brand new passion for the gospel to go out from us. We want that. And we want to be a people that just anticipate you are coming back. You will complete this. That gives us hope. That gives us stamina. That gives us drive and passion and energy. And God, would you do a work through this powerful book of the Bible? Do a work in me. Do a work in this church. Uh, so the gospel will truly come alive in us and through us. Do this so that Jesus gets praise and not us. Thank you. In your great name we pray. Amen.